you so much for joining us on our Blue Sky podcast um, in uh, Children's Mental Health Week to talk about, um, well, children's mental health and technology. I've just done the fanboy thing and told you how much I love your book and your TED talk and stuff. Um, and I've just said that and recorded now. So that's going to stick with me forever. Um, so thank you. Did you want to introduce yourself rather than me reading things and doing it half-assed and badly? Are you okay to just tell everybody who you are? Yeah, I, w- I will try and keep it succinctly. And obviously, uh, you know, this is audio. So people didn't see me smiling at you then when you just said about the, the book and everything. So I, w- I would certainly say that's the reason I've written the book. It's the reason I do the TED Talks is because 99% of this stuff is in my head. And I can, at this point in time, only help the children I work with unless I create those kinds of resources. So that's what they're for. Um, So I am a child, adolescent and adult psychotherapist um, and I'm integrative. And by that, I'm going to say what that actually means is I utilise two perspectives all of the time in all of my work. And that's neuroscience and attachment. So that's the framework with which I've written the book, done the TED talk, um, provide resources, do training, whatever. Now, my background is quite interesting because um, I have 30 plus years of being in and around IT technology. Um, You know, it gets different names, you know, computing. And I'm actually ex-forces. So I was the first woman to do my trade and that involved day sites, night sites, lasers, uh, really complicated equipment that was fantastic to work on. And what that did was it gave me a framework of systemic thinking. And then when I went to train as a psychotherapist many years later, um, because really working in computing saps your soul, um, I actually found that there was this overlap between what we do as people and how technology either facilitates, impairs, um, or even, you know, creates a lot of the traumas that children face. Now, when I was training as a psychotherapist, I went and did a little bit of part-time work to supplement my income, as you do. And I worked with a lot of young people in the area of uh, PHSE, sex relationships education. And I started to notice that there was conversations popping up about, you know, the access to adult material, which we quite often call pornography and the adult material that they could access that we would probably rate 15 or 18 in the cinemas. And what I started to notice is that these children were being affected And in around about 2010, 2011, this is where the two worlds collided and I haven't stopped since. So there's there's a succinct, you know, without all of the words that go, I've got this degree, I've got that set of letters. And currently I am actually doing a a PhD piece of research around the effects of this this digital stuff on children. And it's 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 not surprising but it definitely highlights the kinds of issues that children face. And for me, one of the biggest areas that comes in through my um, therapy office, I work a lot with kinship carers, foster carers, adopted children, and they are the most vulnerable children in terms of the legal definition. But certainly when it comes to the online space, they also have the most vulnerabilities. As As I've put in the book, vulnerability is both a noun and a verb, even though you know, people will say, well, it's not, it's actually a noun, but actually it's a thing that we do. And the children online with those vulnerabilities around um, implicit messages about not being wanted, not belonging, um, they tend to get into the pickles the most. It adds another layer of complexity, doesn't it, to them navigating in in their screen, doesn't it? Um, That that 
it's a lot of that research still in its infancy, isn't it? Because of because of it, what is it sort of with how long in we our screens have been here, we're now sort of seeing the impact on us as adults and our children and our relationship like with things. So again, you know, you, you say you're finding out lots of new stuff. That sounds like a really silly question. Do you know what I mean? I said a lot of it is yeah. kind of we don't really know yet the longer term impacts on of us. Well, if you if you go to the mainstream media, they're putting uh, many, many of the um, scaremongering uh, data out there. I actually confronted somebody on Instagram the other week that said, you know, doing this creates long term impacts. And, and there's some very recent research that says, you know, using screens in infancy impairs cognitive, um, uh, uh, the cognitive abilities of children. And I would actually say, well, is it the screens or is it the lack of interaction from parents? Yeah. Because if children are on screens, then there's a lack of interaction with parents. And for me, that sits alongside neuroscience and attachment. We cannot separate these two areas. We cannot say that it's screens. And certainly the, the term itself, screen time, is nonsense. Mm. And... You know, even even young children can understand that because um, I was I was talking to some children in the last week and said about screens and they went, well, one of them quizzically looked at me and said, but televisions are screens. I said, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And yet you're allowed to watch televisions. But here's the thing. Where do your consoles connect to? Televisions. Yeah. But then we say, well, it's not screen time, but it is screen time, but it isn't. And we've got screens in classrooms and we've got screens that we all use and there's the television and children are, you know, multitasking on different screens. And how do we even measure it? Mm. What do we mean by screen time? And what is screen time? It's Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Do you think, is there is there pushback from, like, from peers and stuff like that around that? Because I, I, when I go back sort of like 10 years, I used to run internet safety training and it was all about, mm -hmm. here's a filter you can put on your computer and here's that. And it was about five years ago, I, I kind of went, actually, I don't think that's as relevant anymore because everything, it's, it's around us, isn't it? And we, there seems to be a tendency for people to go, right, we, much like your sister's analogy in your TED talk, it's we'll shut, we'll shut people off from that. We'll close it down. We'll, 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 we'll keep it away. And the reality is it, it isn't going anywhere. And our parents and our foster carers, particularly with us, need to understand digital parenting more. That's, that's my how I'm... Absolutely. Absolutely. So this this idea that we can restrict, I'm going to use that word, we can restrict the amount of interactions our children have by qualifying it by a, a length of time on a watch or a clock is a little bit ridiculous because I'll give you an example. I work with children who can use a platform for five minutes and interact with perpetrators of crimes against children. Yeah. I can then work with a child who spends two hours on a weekday playing on a platform and has parents who take an active interest in their digital life and doesn't encounter anything harmful, anything, um, uh, uh, um, as the children use this word, inappropriate. Again, subjective term, nobody knows what it means. <laughs> um, there is this idea of it's not the screen time, it's the modus operandi, it's the space that the child goes and the uh, interactions they have in that space. Yeah. So I've got another two books coming out in June, and in one of them I've talked about the public park. Now, we all know that a public park has a number of entrances, a number of exits. We would never send our child into the park and say, meet me at the other side in 15 minutes or meet me at the other side in an hour. We would we would have an implicit understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, we would have an implicit understanding. Well, hang on a minute. 
I know that that area is frequented by dogs off leads and that area is frequented by, um, you know, the, the often stereotypical man in the um, the coat who might flash at children. And, and these are all the stories that we've grown up with. Be careful of this, be careful of that. And the difficulty is because the digital landscape isn't in people's minds in that same way as the public park, many parents don't know what the dangers are. Mm. Many parents don't know what the risks are and many parents don't know where the fantastic spaces are. So what they say is, well, we'll give you a limit about time. And it's not about the time. It's about who, what, where. Um, and you've just said there about parents not knowing where like the fantastic spaces are. And actually, this is, you know, if you, I love mm. that analogy of, of, of the park. Is that just it's I think one of the things I find is trying to make our, our adults and our carers comfortable with stepping and dipping their toes into that digital world because I don't think it's good mm. enough anymore to say I don't understand that it's not for me mm-hmm. if, if the child was self-harming or had a problematic eating you would learn you would think you're not going to start you're not going to start harm but you're going to understand what you need yeah. to do so I don't think you can shut it off and that do you think that comes from like a fear of the unknown of I don't know what that is it's too much it's scary let's just put that over there and and again you know if if I give you the uh, analogies of every time I talk to parents, I say, but you do understand life. You've you've made it through yeah. your teenage years. You've made it through the adolescence phase. So actually, you have a really good idea what it's like to navigate that space in time. Yeah. And that is how we parent. Yeah. And again, one of the difficulties that I face when I'm talking to a lot of the, the carers, so, so often... Uh, I might be working with foster carers or or people who are kinship carers that are in their early 20s and 30s versus those that are slightly older. And the older generation are the ones I can say, and you have the most experience of navigating friendships, relationships, um, you know, the kinds of issues that occur with bullying and what it feels like to go home and feel sad or feel that you've been left out of something you know that experience and it's about not having what I call adolescent amnesia because if you've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager and how tough that is then you're going to to miss those moments with the children that you're you're looking after because you know 99% of us didn't have a great uh, late childhood and early adolescence because that's the time at which the fallouts happen we are trying to find our identity our, our, our identity it, it's it's a difficult time for many of us mm. and, and, and think, that is just replicated online yeah ex- exactly and it's so nice hearing somebody else like say it and it, it's that it's you know all I say to care I say all the things that you do day to day about being approachable about being therapeutic about understanding your child's attachment difficulties all these things you can apply that to this digital space as well (laughs) it's not an it might be an alien world but my god you know you know you know this planet like it's just maybe in a slightly different place but it's there and it's all around us and um yeah and actually role modeling that you're you know using them as experts and helping them guide you through it as kind of that you're um helping you using your young people to guide you through it to say actually what is this yeah. It's an interest. I always relate it to like when I was a kid and my dad, I'd be playing with Lego on the floor and my dad would come and sit next to me and play Lego. I was like, oh, my God, he's in my world. Like, this is amazing. Yes. And that, and, and I say to kids, trying to replicate that is even if you don't understand like Minecraft or, or Zelda or whatever, 
just sitting and being with that kid is going to start to build those connections, but using technology mm-hmm. is the platform mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. So I will give you a resource straight away that many parents go, oh, I don't know anything about games or gaming. Um, One of my colleagues um, has a website called Taming Gaming. Now, it makes it sound like you're trying to stop children uh, game with that with that title. But actually, there is a list of so many different types of games that mm. can be uh, collaborative, can be family orientated, ones that don't generally follow the, the top five popular ones. Yeah. But again, um, I'm, I'm going to use your Lego analogy and, and a real world example. Many parents understand football. And I say, well, how long does football last? And they say, well, it's about 45 minutes and they play one side, then they have a break, then they swap over. Okay, so what do you think it is that happens on gaming? It's (laughs) a fairly similar um, system in terms of the types of games have particular rules. For example, Fortnite lasts 45 minutes maximum for each round. Um, A child might not last 45 minutes because they might get killed in one of the early stages. But again, there's different kinds of games that have levels and save points. So they might be the role-playing games where a child is moving through a story and can stop at the save points. So as those carers and parents, if you can learn the rules of a game, you can then navigate with your child when it's time to finish, which makes it much, much easier for that, what we call rage quitting. Um, It makes it much easier to understand what it is your child is doing and to take part in that process. So, for example, on the Nintendo Switch, there are games like Animal Crossing, Zelda, and you can talk to your child, you know, what are you doing there? Why have you chosen that avatar, which is um, the way that the figure's represented? Um, Why are you buying that plot of land? Why have you, you know, why have you done that in that particular way? What is the puzzle you're trying to resolve? We do this all the time with Lego. Um, You know, those, those puzzles that, children do on the floor we educate them in do the edges first and then fill in the middle so our life experiences help us make those collaborative moments it's the same as with with the online and maybe on this occasion it's a role reversal the child is educating the adult into the rules of well this game happens in this way and yes I've I've raised two children they're in their uh, mid to late 20s it can sound repetitive when they're talking to you about the newest obsidian block and the spider that's in Minecraft and the zombies and the witch and the so Because parents don't necessarily understand, it sounds scary. It sounds like language they don't understand. And I would certainly say, I know it can be laborious sitting next to your child and watching an hour of Minecraft thinking, why haven't they done it the way that I would do it? Why are they doing it this way? You know, you can get frustrated because children think different, differently, but also it gives you an insight into your child's world that you cannot get through questions alone. And yes, they do make fast movements and it's really easy to say, slow down. Can you show me what you just did again? What What, what did you do then? How did you do that? What was that about? And actually, I find that's been the best learning experience over the past 20-ish years of working um, in and around this space. It is the children that have taught me about some of these spaces yeah. because I'm I'm not a Fortnite player. I'm not a, a, a Minecraft. Yeah, I can do it. But there is something about children show me what they do. And those are the questions that I ask. And those questions have been answered in the books. Yeah. Um, in, in, but you talk about um, that 
how do you how, so it says so how do you get your child to put the game down turn it off and obviously and in your um i think it's in one of it might be in a book or in a blog you're talking about um uh not using screen screen time i've done that i've done the thing from friends <laughs> like watching the doughy thing um as a as a reward for doing like good things and stuff and because obviously and that will build that will make young people with trauma uh, who have suffered trauma maybe not trust you as much because you're given a trade off it so you have to do this mm-hmm. to get this thing um and and, and I, I won't read it out but can you talk a bit about that then because that is one of the things I, I know that you know if you're saying to a young person if you understand the thing that they're doing if i'm halfway through a book and i'm about to get to the really good bit it's just rips it out of my hand and goes you can't read that anymore i'm i'm gonna kick off even at 37 so, <laughs> yeah um so can you talk a bit about that you, you talk about approaching them as akin to a small animal you're trying to catch um and understanding them because i guess if you're trying to catch a deer you know how they're going to move and all that kind of stuff so can you talk to me a little bit more about that yeah so going going back to the idea of m- many parents walk walk into a child in front of a screen so whether it's an xbox and they're sitting on the floor or whether they're in their bedroom with a headset on and a, a computer screen many parents will walk in and make an assumption that this is a good place to stop so i'm going to take people back quite a few years now when pac-man was around so i've noticed that you've got a little arcade machine <laughs> so when pac-man was around you would find that in in those environments a a young person would be playing and everybody would crowd round and by crowding round you all learned how the game worked you had three lives it's the same space invaders you have three lives and at the end of the three lives that's the game over so when you when you are approaching your child you're going to be seeing the same thing they're seeing so you might not hear what's going on because they might have a headset on but you will look at a screen and it will have lots of information on it. And sometimes if it doesn't have lots of information on it, you can kind of signal to your child how long's left of the game or what are you what are you doing? Oh, I'm um, you know, for example, I'm in Minecraft and it's creative mode. Okay. So creative mode has a particular way that you use things, and the way that the layout is is different to when you're actually playing it. Um in terms of against others and and when you're not in creative mode. So go and sit with your child and learn what the screen looks like to give you the cues as to the kinds of questions you can ask. And again, you yeah, a deer, a deer is a very good way to to think about this. You would not just run into the <laughs> the, the clearing and try and catch a deer because it's it's just going to evade you. Yeah. And there is also this thing about um, when a child is playing games, they could be on that virtual football field. They could be playing with 80 other players, mm. 12 players, 100 players as it is in Fortnite when that begins. So it's understanding you would not march onto a football field and just pick your child up and walk off with them because you know that the 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 outcome of that is going to be A, difficult for you, and be difficult for the child because it's shaming, humiliating, um, embarrassing. Those are the kinds of words that children will use. But also there is the follow-up tour, the teasing that then follows about you being collected off the football field. And, and I think we all know that in terms of our parents <laughs> calling us in for tea yeah. and, and we didn't want to leave the football match. And we'd say, you know, five more minutes, mum, five more minutes or um, let me just let me just score the next goal or let me finish this round of I don't know whether you're playing pool, tennis, um, swimming, whatever it is you're doing. So, again, it's learning the space and you can only do that by either sitting and watching or asking your child questions or doing what most of the children do. Go and YouTube it. 
there's thousands, millions, millions of videos on how to play Minecraft, how Minecraft works, uh, Fortnite videos, and there are people who show you what's going on. I think the difficulty for most parents is when a child is playing a game, they are animated, emotional, and if they don't have a headset in, you can hear the other pay, uh, the other people in the game doing exactly the same. And that can be confusing to parents and houses because that's a lot of noise it's in your environment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you wouldn't you wouldn't allow a football game to be taking place in your living room. But effectively, that is what <laughs> happens when, you know, you've got 100 players all online at the same time and they're all screaming and shouting at each other about how they're going to win or how they want people to comply with them or, or team up with them. And it's very stressful to know that that's effectively in your living room or in your house. And lots of parents will say to me, you know, oh, but it's so annoying, Kath. Oh, they just shout at each other. Yeah, well, that's what happens in a football stadium, yeah. a rugby stadium, in a cricket stadium. Well, actually, cricket stadium. Maybe not so much a cricket. <laughs> they're a little more. They're a little more reserved, unless unless it's a I don't know a six gets uh, batted out of the area. But again, there is this team spirit, um, which which often means that your child is involved in that space. So navigating that space means that the parents do have to learn. Yeah. And again, to go and catch a deer. Slowly, slowly, quietly. And then it's it's a case of if you know the rules, you then know the points at which you can say, when you get to, or when this game ends, or when this round ends, or at your next save point. Again, that's like saying to you, when you get to the get to the end of the chapter, put your book down. Even though it's exciting, there it's is something about, yeah, there's something about the psychological gestalt, it's called. If I get to the end of the chapter, I can put a bookmark in and know... I'm in a place where I am resolved that I got to the end of that particular mm. chapter or that particular page, or you might pick a paragraph. And how many of us do this with Netflix? We just watch that next episode. Yeah, just one just more. read that. Yeah, just <laughs> next chapter. Because if you get involved emotionally, you want to be part of it. Mm. That's what I've been doing with The Last of Us at the moment. I didn't start watching it straight away. And now I just want to sit on the sofa under the duvet and watch it all the time. Now, you see, I, I can't bring myself because there's going to be something about, is it going to follow the game? No, not according to most of the reports that I've seen. And I'm I'm not so sure I can now um, <laughs> it, it change the dynamics of something that was quite early on in gaming history. Yeah. Yeah. We won't we won't spoil it for anybody. Um, so <laughs> uh, um, I've got so many things to ask. It's one of the things you said there then was about um, getting parents understanding of getting in that world and and all this kind of stuff. But how, how do you, when you're talking to parents and caregivers then about what you've, everything you've just said about um, understanding the games and to bring it back to the mental, children's mental health theme of connection, um, how receptive are parents and caregivers that you work with to that? Are they like, I don't think so, Kath, or are people, are people like, actually, I do need some help here. I need to listen. And what what is it that you share with them? So most of the time children are in my clinic because there's been an issue. So whether it's um, an issue at school or, or something like that. So 99% of the time the parents attend with or, or the carers or or even sometimes I can get the social workers to do this. Um, I will. I, I've got these um, systems in my office. So I've got an Xbox and, you know, I will put the game on and I'll say, why don't you come in 15 minutes before the end of the session today? You know, obviously with the permission of the child. Why don't you come in? Why don't you just watch? 
And as the as the parents sitting there, I say, this is really fantastic. Have you seen how? Can you see why? And and that might be, uh, let's call them Billy. Oh my goodness, can you see how Billy managed to work out that problem? That was really clever cognition. Yeah. And then it'll be, wow, look how fast uh, Billy's hands are moving on the, the controller. And he's not even looking at it. That shows you the motor movement, which is a really adept skill of, you know, finite movement with the hands. It's flexibility of um, being able to pay attention to more than one stream of information coming in. And again, you know, I, I laugh with parents and say, look, I've been using computers for it's it's. 30 plus year I'm not going to give me age away completely <laughs> but I still look at the keyboard just in case the keys have moved yeah, yeah, you know, yeah it's that it's that idea of I don't have that bodily trust so again when I'm when I'm talking to the parents I will I will say to the parents, especially if one of the children is I don't know say for example playing Fortnite and they bring up the screen to change their weapons and they go click 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 and I say whoa 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 Billy okay can you slow that down a minute because that was so fast, I couldn't keep up with your level of what's mm. going on in your brain. Now, that says to me, I have a slower thinking brain in terms of I'm not used to where the things are. And when you become used to things, what we call automaticity or, or you know, this kind of habituated patterning and and. There is this thing about children know exactly where something is. And I will say to parents, that's just like going into the supermarket, isn't it? You know where the, the uh, washing stuff is, where the vegetables are. And doesn't it throw you for six when they change it? Moved, yeah. So you, you can see that we have this experience in our real world. So you can go in the supermarket and you can do your shopping really quickly. Because you go down the aisle and you go, I know, third shelf along, down on the bottom. That's the, I don't know, that's the pasta that I want. And the bread that I want is over in the corner. These are probably not the best foods to be eating, by the way. But I'm just going... <laughs> You know, and I want my courgettes and I want my sunset. So there's this thing about habituation is what we do. And how many times have you gone to drive to, I don't know, the supermarket and you've driven to work or you've gone to drive to somebody's house and you've arrived thinking, hang on a minute, I don't remember how I got here. I get here, yeah. And and this is the thing that brains do. They become so accustomed to their environment that it becomes natural. So this is why parents are frightened of it because they seem to often see their child doing things automatically mm. and it, it it can frighten them because they don't understand how they got from novice or noob as they're often called all the way through to this this expertise i really i had a really similar thing recently um my son um bought splatoon splatoon 3 and i was like oh that looks really fun i really, I really want to get on it so i bought it and i started playing it and i couldn't do it and mm -hmm. i and I got so angry mm -hmm. and frustrated that I couldn't work out why I can play like Rainbow Six or Call of Duty and be all right. But I was losing to like 10 year old kids and I couldn't understand why. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, about two weeks in, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. The pen is just dropped with it. I think I understand it now. And I'm all right. So it's that I can see that frustration of. Mm -hmm. Why can't I do it? Because I don't know where the menu buttons are and da da da. da. Um, do you think that um, drawing on those? parallels for for adults of when they were teens and having teenage amnesia do you think mm -hmm. that is the thing that really helps them? and I think that I don't know I can't remember who it was years ago said someone about like Facebook and they drew a parallel between when somebody passed away or somebody got married back in the day you put it in the newspaper and you'd be like congratulations to Mr and Mrs blah 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 but now people post it online 
And us, and that you kind of see that penny dropping with people going, oh, I remember what that was like for me. And it's just a different way of doing it. Yeah. So, so two things. One, I'll come back to that frustration with games. So if I don't mention it in the next few minutes, just say fall guys to me. <laughs> um and I will get I will obviously explain for the listeners in a minute why why we're going to come back to full guys and frustration. But certainly this is this is probably the biggest thing I think for your audience in terms of foster carers and those who are looking after children who may well have a history of living somewhere else before. And one of the things about children in the foster care environment is we have that life experience that you talked about in terms of um, our our histories as non-looked-after um, individuals is fairly fairly linear. We grow up in a, our family. <clears throat> excuse me. We leave. We go out, and we do a job, get married, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and it's very linear. For many of the children that we're working with, um, and and thinking about here, there's lots of different histories and lots of different spaces that they might have been, and lots of those moments of accolades um moments of I don't know whether they were at a school and maybe that was the week that they got star of the week and the school took a picture and 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 so on and so forth so one of the things that I would certainly say is in the beginning of the the book that you you were uh, holding a minute ago the first one I I do talk about why we do this well we share our pride and we say look at me and my family and we tend to do it as I I compare it to it's the digital photograph book. It's the digital, um, you know, the one the one when you used to go around to your friend's house and, and they'd say, oh, I've got pictures of me as a kid. Do you want to see them? And you'd say, oh, yeah, that's really funny. And it was limited to a particular audience, audiences that knew you uh, very well, intimately, and you might show those photograph albums to family, to friends, and it was very limited. Well, we now have that space where, yes, we're doing it so differently that we're showing those images to uh, the entire world often because of um, people not understanding settings, but often we're also showing them to the the bad actors and the uh, algorithmic bots that are collecting lots and lots of data about us. And, you know, for example, Mr. and Mrs. Smith get married. Fantastic. And then they share that information with Facebook or Meta, as it's now called, and it goes out as a public post and now the AI bots can go, OK, now we know what a standard marriage looks like in the, for example, UK, Ukraine, um, all around the world. And the AI, so this is artificial intelligence, can learn a lot about human behaviour just by what we share with uh, Facebook and all of the other media channels. But also, if we think about the children we're working with and live with and look after there's also a history about what a child in care often looks like. Their the facial recognition is now a thing. Well, it has been a thing for a while, and actually, you could find the digital footprint. So this is the history of a child in those varying locations, mm. and that that's something that's often forgotten about with um, the foster care system is we tend to look at it, well, I'm going to look after little Jesse and Billy and Jesse and Billy are going to come into my house and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take pictures of us as a family and we do know foster care placements break down. Sometimes they are only short term, sometimes they're emergency and then they move on. And in that time, digital evidence is collected of that family having Jesse and Billy there and then Jesse and Billy go to the next space and and it's a case of so what happens to that digital 
um, data, as it's often called. What happens to that digital data and how do Jesse and Billy take that with them or how is that protected or how is that um, created as part of their life story work and where is that being contained in terms of social care, um, some of the spaces that happens. So I know that there is this idea of a digital passport, but actually we need to look at the psychology we need to look at the emotions and we need to look at the fact about, well, this is another version of life story work that we really need to pay attention to. What will make sense for this child if one of those placements in their history wasn't so good? And if we think about trauma and mental health and psychology and emotions, not all foster care placements are wonderful they're not the they're not the that ubiquitous euphoria that we often perceive as um you know and I, I do see this narrative a lot in terms of um the adverts that are on back of buses you know just foster a child like it's like it's really easy all you need is a big heart <laughs> <clears throat> absolutely and some of these children don't get on with their foster care placements well of course they don't because it's not the family of origin and there's this thing about just because you take pictures doesn't necessarily mean that that was a fantastic time in that child's life. So it's it's for me, there's always something bigger than let's just look at the physical evidence. We have to look at what does this mean for this child in terms of when they get to 18 and, you know, they're going to go into the big bright world or 25 as it now seems to be for a lot of children because they are staying with their parents a lot longer. You know, what happens for that child and what do they want to do with that kind of history and what it meant for them um because it used to be very much that if we did life story work it was a printed piece of paper with some photographs attached to it well there's a lot of information now what about the child who's talking on social media and and you know they might be in one location they could even change counties countries uh, again it's really complicated to think about the life of a child in the digital landscape yeah, because like you say, it's not just that smooth. Here's a nice smooth mm. narrative. It's often up and times, up and down, and and, yeah. and all over the place, isn't it? And transitions are really important. You know, what do we do if Mr. and Mrs. Smith adopt Jesse and Billy? Sorry, or, or foster Jesse and Billy, and as part of that, the phones belong to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. You know what? What happened? It, it, does that child? And and maybe they create an email address and there's an email address at the school and maybe they have a few social media accounts. What happens when that child... Where does that, where does that stuff go? Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things I always talk to our carers about. It's like, you know, at what point does Netflix, <clears throat> if they're using your Netflix account, at what point does that stop? Or at what point does, like, um, you know, say you, you've bought Minecraft, but it's on your Xbox, but all of their saved data is on yeah. that. Where does that go? And again, if you know more about it and you're able to set up like a realm or something so that it can be taken with people. I was hoping to carry yesterday, set up a switch um, to put her young people's switches. And she knows that one of them's going to be moving on soon and all this kind of stuff. But she said, I wanted to get him something, first of all, and make sure that everything's set up in a way that he, you know, uh, the games that he's got, I'm setting him off on the right foot. And I said, mm -hmm. I cannot mm -hmm. be more happy that you're, you're taking such an interest in saying, yeah. I want to start his his journey into gaming on the right foot um, with games with like a, a good narrative and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. you're, you've got the chance to shape his future for that. Um, yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Um, well, I can certainly say, Ed, one of the things I've noticed in terms of um, uh, the children I work with who uh, not necessarily in foster care or, or looked after at all, 
but sometimes where there are children where divorces happen, where mm. there's been sexual abuse cases and the child is separated, there is this history of all my stuff is on the computer that belongs to or all my stuff is on that Xbox and I'm not allowed to take that Xbox or the police have come in and taken that Xbox because they want to look at it. And for two years now, everything. And, and this is one of the things that often gets misunderstood in terms of hours played on particular games. If you have played on Minecraft for, <clears throat> I don't know, 10, 11 years, you might have accrued something like 300 hours, yeah. which doesn't sound a lot, but I'll tell you what, that is an absolute kingdom of creation one of the stories that yeah you've, you've lost everything one of the stories that resonated so much with me in your book was about the young person that had played zelda for three thousand hours oh yeah I, I've, I've shared that with so many of our carers and quite a few carers have picked this up yeah. um it's um yeah on that afternoon whilst he was at his friend's dad gave the hand concert so the child's cousin age seven deleted the game file three thousand hours playtime and started a new game for himself um and you just kind of, it's trying to make people understand like how invested that person was in that. And then it's. Oh, oh yes. And and what was, what was difficult about that case was I, I immediately connected with that child and went, Oh, gone. Oh, everything. That was like losing your life in terms of psyche and, and, and emotion. And, and the parents said something along the lines of, well, you just start a new game. And I said, it's not, it's not just, it's not just, um, and one of the conversations I had with the child was how frustrating it was because he could play the game. He could probably do it a little bit faster this time because he knew the levels and he knew how to solve the problems. That's, you know, mastery and, yeah, great. It's the fact that when you're playing a game on a brand new, um, so on a brand new life, let's call it that, you restart the game. You then have to watch those videos that appear, the storylines. Yeah. So if we go back, like, to The Last of Us or... Um, I don't know, even COD does this. You you have to sit through the video, which you've already watched, yeah. and you get given the background story of Zelda. And this child was like, but I already know the story, and I can't skip it. One That's... of these, the, there's, a, there's a book, and it's going to really, it's by, um, uh, I think it's called Why We Play Games. And there's a story in there about how the guy had built a Minecraft world with his dad who passed mm -hmm. away. And then mm -hmm. another one where his dad had set the fastest lap time on like Ridge Racer and the ghost car was there and how yeah. he didn't want to ever beat the ghost car because his dad was still in the game. Yeah. And that's I mean, this is a this is another element. Again, in the book, I talk about um, death. Death has changed for so many of us because it used to be before technology, a finite um space and time yeah. um you you would be alive in the corporeal world and you would die in the corporeal world and that would be the end of it the only um memories so to speak were either images that you had in your head or images printed out on for example yeah. canvas perhaps yeah. even the old vhs videos that were taken of those uh, momentous moments or holidays or something like that but you now have the capacity, and I don't want to frighten people today in terms of where technology is going, but you now have the capacity to meet those people in digital spaces. They still exist and their essence is still there. And I know that there's been times when um, there are services who create digital spaces where you can go and leave um, a permanent record of somebody and again, that might be helpful for a child in, in this space in time right now. But again, you know, think about 
I'm just going to give an example to the parents so they can understand here in terms of think about what you get reminded of on Facebook without a pre a a precognitive warning in terms of tomorrow we're going to show you the video of. So for those children, and I'm just thinking this is where it applies to these children who have multiple um, homes, think about if they have taken uh, a picture and maybe they lived with a family. I'm going to do quite a uh, despairing story here, but, you know, little Billy lived with family number one and family number one physically abused him. And there were many pictures taken in the household of the perfect family because there is this impression that happens. And he moved to family three. And by the time he was with family three, it was much more settled. And suddenly Facebook goes, do you remember what you were doing three years ago? Here's the family that was abusive. And it's an image of family number one. And everybody looks happy. And on that particular day, that child is, you know, stomping around the house and and the family number three doesn't understand why the child is feeling what they're feeling. And it might not have occurred to them that actually they've just had an intrusive memory or an intrusive image, as Facebook does, uh, provided to them with no context, no warning. And, you know, it, it's I found this when my um, dogs passed away. There, there were moments where I'd go, oh, oh. And and it's really quite difficult. Yeah, it's because... just there, isn't it? And and I guess oh, yeah. that's that's it. You know, when the algorithm and everything's working, it's like we want your attention and we want it now. And then it's and there it is, and bam, here's the thing. And it's like, oh god, yeah. now I look at this, and I this needs to. Yeah, it's intrusive. There's there's no choice over it, is it? It's no. you know, I, I, it's you know, it's designed to get your attention and to keep it, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's working. It's doing its job, isn't it? Um, in terms of doing its job, you said to mention four guys. I did, yes. In terms of, um, well, I'm just thinking about the stomping, the stomping around the house. In terms of, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things is, is technology can actually influence our our mental health, our moods, and we can become influenced by, for example, what we're doing at the time. So, one of the things, uh, if I go back to bringing parents into the the room, one of the things I will do is often to get the parent to understand what technology is like. We will, I will often invite them to play Fall Guys. It's a very simple game, you know, and it doesn't matter how good you are at gaming. Fall Guys is just one of those games that it's it's just hilarious, frustrating, difficult, easy. It, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. And quite often it, it, there will be an invitation, you know, how about you have a go on this, Mrs. Smith? Oh, no, 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 no. And the child can say, oh, no, come on. It's really fun. Um, I'll play it. I'll show you what to do. And then what we get is an example of, you know, so here's the child and you can see how frustrating it is. And what I'm able to do with them is generally um, talk about the trauma and, and the nervous system and so on. Because I, I, that's what I do is, is obviously paying attention to the child. But then we give it to the parent. OK, so you've seen all you've got to do is run up the hill. You know, that's all you've got to do. <laughs> that's, oh, it makes fall guys sound so easy. All you've got to do is do what it says there. Run to the end and win the race or come in the top 50. That's it. So you you give this console to the person. There's two manoeuvres, push the stick forward and press the button to jump. So, you know, I say to them, that's how easy this game is to play. You need to do two things. Okay. And the parent will play. And obviously the first go on fall guys is just people turning around in circles. And (laughs) there is a fantastic video actually of Dara O'Brien talking about some of the games he played. And I think one of them was Prince of Persia. (laughs) And he said how he kept walking into the the, the box and then couldn't get around the box and he bent (laughs) down. And it's that feeling of frustration. And what that does in that instant is gives 
the parent that um, experiential moment of, yeah, these games are quite immersive, aren't they? I wanted to be able to get around that particular obstacle or I wanted to win. And it's like saying, yes, yeah, so do you remember the, I don't know, the egg and spoon race, the sack race, all of the things that we did in the 70s and 80s that were supposedly fun, health and safety, <laughs> you know, health and safety dilemmas all over. But it is a way of saying, look how quickly you became immersed in the outcome. You wanted to win. So you can actually start to understand why these children get so angry with the games when as I talk about in the book, when somebody's cheating, camping out and, and killing them, knocking yeah. them off things on purpose, where people are not playing fairly, but look how look how immersed you were in perhaps the collaboration or perhaps, you know, it depends on what we're doing in the in the therapy room. But there is a lot about, and, and you talked about this with the Splatoon, that idea of I wanted to be good at this because I'm good at that. Yeah. Now Take that for a moment and put that into the real world. Isn't that just what our children do? They want to be good at everything because it's difficult as a child to recognise that you don't have all of the skills of every kind of thing that, you know, children who are not so good at maths, not so good at English, but outstanding at PE, for example, or can do all of the academic subjects, but are, you know, teased for their, you know, lack of coordination in PE. And... What we do with children is we say, look, we can't be an expert of everything. It's okay to absolutely suck at art or, you know, be the most outstanding tennis player or whatever it is that we do. And actually, it's the same for the digital environment. And I think that's where we can really sit with our children for the mental health side of things is sitting and noticing what they struggle with and what they excel at. And and that is that moment that you talked about earlier, your dad sitting down with the Lego with you. You and, didn't and, need to be, yeah, you didn't need to be, I don't know, creating the Sistine Chapel out of Lego bricks. You you were making a car or yeah. a house, as most people do. Yeah. And and there was one, again, and you said the word there and you said it earlier, was noticing. And you said, like, I love the way that you you built that. And that's, that's stuff that people are much are comfortable to do offline. Like, I love the way that you you know, you looked after your teddy bear or I love the way that you built that house. It's just mm-hmm. applying that to, I love the way that you made it up that hill on four guys and jumped over the over the hole. It's just noticing it in a different way and not going, right, there's a babysitting tool, off I go, because I don't understand it. I'm going to go and do these other things. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's- and, and rejoicing in failure. So that's that's the thing I love about Fall Guys is the, oh, oh, you were so close. Oh, it was, you know, real bad luck on this account. Not, you're a crap player. Excuse yeah. Much, because that's actually what other people would say on the online space or the child usually says to themselves is I'm rubbish. No, it was just unlucky on this occasion. You know, that happens to me. And actually, we can rejoice in failure particularly with these computer games and and spaces that they go online because it's okay to fail yeah. um and some of the games are set up for that level of frustration and and that's the reason people go back to playing yeah. them because they want to they want to gain mastery over the thing that they couldn't do yesterday yeah and i love the idea of using something like fall guys to build that empathy for young people to understand frustration i think that's such because like you say the simplicity of it and if you then essentially you're just layering it up aren't you saying well you won't be getting frustrated at that now imagine how frustrated they are 
when they play a fortnight and they make it to the final three players and then they get wiped out by someone that's been camping. Like it's yeah. just a, it's just a nut more a few more layers on top of that. And I think it helps to draw those um, those parallels between things and to understand it to get into their world and um yeah yeah because a lot of these children actually have the consoles taken away from them for having an appropriate response to frustration, <laughs> which is yeah. you know as 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 then. You, you get into this space where you're explaining. Well, isn't isn't that what it was like for you playing Fall Guys? And you only started at level one, and were were you know you didn't even make it to you were eliminated. And what did that feel like? Right now, imagine that this is your school friends, and actually, it turns out what you're picking up by playing this game with your school friends is actually little Timmy over in the corner keeps being mean, and that that then gives you a conversational starter as well about. So what's that like? What's going on with you and Timmy at school? Mm. Well, Timmy keeps picking on me. Ah, and I can see that's happening in the digital space as well. So maybe maybe you could play without Timmy. What would that be like? Could you set up a party? Well, no, because X person and X person always invites me in. Okay, maybe you need some new friends. And again, you know, looking at what that word particularly means, because friends in the real world is very different to friends online. It's the same, it's the same language, but with different meanings, the same as this vulnerability word. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a confusion is children will say to their parents, yeah, but they're my friends. And parents have the corporeal, well, this is what I consider a friend is without translating it into that digital version as well. So again, you do get to learn a lot about, it's almost like having an overview, like the the, the fly on the wall uh, metaphor you actually get to see the kinds of friendships that are happening if you're watching your children play um, co um, co-created games and co-production games and collabor collaborative. You really do get to see where the difficulties are in their friendships and relationships. Um, and I guess that being there uh, to pick up the pieces, to help them when they're stuck, showing an interest um, and and being aware of like you said you just mentioned there about knowing about things in terms of like creating a different party if you don't know that language you kind mm -hmm. of like well just just block them just turn them off and it's like actually why then just saying actually why don't you make a party without them and then if you understand that them saying um i can't do that because you know mark always adds them in you can start to understand the mm -hmm. how that's going to work and it's pretty simple. Once someone's explained it to you or you've seen it, you go, oh, okay, that makes, I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, that's, that's like a protective, it's the same as if, if you knew that, I don't know, say that there was um, uh, an after school club. So I'm thinking something that would happen regularly. So it was an after school club and maybe it was football and the boys were picking the football on the Thursday. And every time they went on the Thursday, you'd be going to pick up your child and you were noticing that there was this discord between two children, and that's not the app. I'm talking about the actual physical um, <laughs> yeah. uh, conflict. That you you start to notice. Mm, I'm not really sure this is the best evening for my child to be in this space. Why don't I go and find a grassroots football club, or why don't I go and find um, a, a training club they could go to on a Saturday? So they still get to practice the thing that they love, but maybe not in this environment because this environment is not particularly good for their emotional and mental health at this point in time because they haven't navigated um, uh, friendship fallout. So they haven't navigated um, how to deal with the child who's particularly mean on this occasion. That is a word that gets used a lot rather than bullying. Um, or perhaps they are the, the aggressor themselves. 
you know, and they they are aggressive towards another child. OK, let's remove them from this, but let's still provide them with the ability to do what they love. Yeah. And, and so often we just go, well, don't play it then. Turn it yeah. off. Block them. And the child looks as if to say, well, that's not a solution to that. Yeah, that's not that's not even an answer. That's not even a possibility. Mm hmm. So and actually the um that um uh kind of giving them the skills in the tangible three D world uh, uh, so that they can apply them into the into the digital space. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's I mean I know if if you go to a lot of the the technology related books or the resources that come from e safety companies they tend to talk about this netiquette which is the way we behave online. Well, actually, it's the way we behave as humans. Yeah. We need to get that first and foremost and and that's generally what we're trying to do with these children is you know and and this is why i say that the uh, teenage amnesia or the childhood amnesia is really important in terms of saying well do you remember what it was like when you fell out with your friend it was the most important thing in the world so saying well don't go on it yeah it's like, it's like saying don't exist then <laughs> and um you uh said in your ted talk about um if i'm not getting my needs met here then I'm going to go in here for them. Yes, yeah, and and for me, I mean that's the that's the crux of the uh, the TED talk is about the book in terms of this is what I'm noticing and it's what I've noticed over the past uh, probably 15 years is children who have those vulnerabilities. So we are definitely talking insecure and disorganized attachment. When you don't get your needs met by the people in your physical environment, other people will promise you and will create an environment where they um, lie or um, they will um, perhaps create the illusion of you're going to get your needs met here. Yeah. And this is how the perpetrators of crimes against children work. They say, oh, I'm empathic. I'm yeah. compassionate. I'll be your friend. And again, this is this is why we we have to really pay attention to this. Children need their needs meeting. Absolutely. And that needs to happen in the physical world. Mm. It really must happen when they are younger. So they learn to develop the resilience and um, robustness to be able to notice when somebody is alluding to providing those needs. Because this is what happens with the children that do get groomed that I work with is um, they said they were my friend. Yeah. They talked to me. I trusted them. And that's the that's the need that we have in relationships in what in what Eric Byrne called a, a, a hunger. So we we have this contact hunger and we want to be in contact with people. And if if our parents are too busy, don't want to pay attention to the digital stuff we're doing, then somebody else will provide it. And that person is usually what we call the bad actor. Yeah. There was a young person who I worked with a few years ago who she was talking about why she joined, uh, how she joined a gang. She was saying things at home were rubbish and um, she had tatty shoes and all this kind of stuff. She was getting bullied at school and the guys that were hanging around outside of school bought new trainers, kicked the, kicked the bullies' heads in basically and provided mm -hmm. things for the need wasn't the need that she had wasn't being met at home and they took care of it. It was obviously then later down the line that they groomed her and then asked more things of her. Again, yeah. it's applying that into a digital space and I guess the role yeah. of, our, of our carers is to sometimes having to regressively care for our children to go actually at three, four, five, they didn't have the walled gardens like the play park. They were left mm -hmm. to be hit by those devices. Maybe I need to go back a bit and read and help them learn those things like for the first time. 
and then treat them like they are younger but also at the same time developmentally they may be here but chronologically they're here so I need to find a space that's somewhere comfortable in the middle yeah Uh, and and most of us will notice well this is why I stick the parents on the the devices because what's what's really interesting is if you want to see how a child was managed with their um, early years and distress what we call the distress tolerance space uh, yeah put them into a space where they get frustrated and and generally you might be working with um, the 40 year old that's having the temper tantrum of a three year old you know I can't do this and and they just give the controller back with a with it and I go that's that's really interesting what was that like for (laughs) because Because what you actually get is a window into what it was like to manage frustration as a young child. So when, for example, you might be, as you've said, chronologically. So let's go with the 14 year old that lobs his controller at the screen, F's and Jeff's, says, I'm never going on it again. And and the parent comes in and tries to do the what I call the solution moment, which is, well, why don't we just why don't we just why don't we just rather than, oh, that was really hard. That was difficult. It's, it sounds like you might need a bit of space to talk and I'll be here when you're ready or, or, you know, that kind of emotional connection. And you might have to be connecting with that three and four year old, particularly in the, the looked after world of children, because that might have been the moment that was missed. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to think, how do I recognize what this child needs now? Because it's not about the now, it's about the past. And this is why I use that term from transaction analysis, rubber banded, because it's as quick as that. Yeah, um, that's a really great um, part to end on, I would hope, in terms of that connection and which person, which 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 age child do you need to, to connect with? Is it the mm-hmm. three-year-old mm-hmm. or the old Which space do you need to be in? Um, so before um, before we go, um, obviously, if anybody wants to find out any more about you, you've got a website, um, which is, uh, is it Children and Tech? Yeah, childrenandtech.co.uk. So it's the word and, not the ampersand. So that's not the not the little figure on the number seven. Yeah. Um, childrenandtech.co.uk. I have a newsletter. Um, I also do training. Um, uh, I've got more books coming out. Uh, again, there's videos on there. There's the TED Talk. There's um, my Polyvagal Motorway of Wellness, which is um, a free resource on YouTube. And again, that's about, um, which I think you could put in the show notes on this one, Ed, in in terms of understanding um, how we move in our nervous system throughout the day and when we are, um, let's call it, distressed by the game. And that is how I talk to the five and six-year-olds in my clinic. And if they can understand it, then hopefully everybody else can. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll add that in um, underneath. Um, Yeah. Cool. Um, Thank you so much, Kath. Uh, you're you're welcome this has been another fascinating i uh, again i could talk about this all day because this is the you know this is my privileged background of understanding uh both children and the technology hence why i've got the website children and technology because this technology not to scare everybody now is getting faster is getting more immersive and there are more dangers and risks coming fast um cool thank you kath you're welcome